Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Hey, this is Matt Lesher. This is Phil Lamar. Hey, this is Rodman Taylor, a.k.a. the Penguin Gotham, and you are listening to Geek Vibes Live. Welcome, welcome, welcome to an all-new episode of Geek Vibes Live. I am your host, Juwan, and I am joined by an amazing panel for today's episode. Sorry I don't sound as happy as I usually do, but I'll get into that in a moment. First, let me introduce our panel, starting with Tia. What's going on, Tia? Hey, guys. How are you? Um, If I sound a little funny this podcast, I'm still trying to get over a cold, so my voice is a little raspier. Um, Not than usual. I don't have a raspy voice, so it's just raspy today. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I don't don't think it's usually raspy, but um, yes, huge shout out to Tia that I could safely say I guilt-tripped it into being on this episode. Um, but no, uh, thank you for soldiering up, <laughs> Um, You know how much I love potting with you, so so thank you very much. Um, also, AJ, what's going on, AJ? What's up, what's up? Uh, like you said, it's a sad day for right now. Uh, I'm happy that I got off of work early to be on Geese 5 Live, finally. Took forever. Um, but it's still a sad day, and we'll get to that in a moment. Absolutely. And huge shout out to AJ, who just got off, um, who definitely could have said, no, Juwan, I- I'm going home and I'm going to sleep. Uh, but again, made it here on the show, so I appreciate that, brother. Um, and welcoming back, I think, pal, you've been on Geek Vibes Live. Maybe I'm, I'm muddying the war. Maybe it's only been Geeks Against the Grain. But regardless, welcome back to a pod with the GVN family. It's been so long. Welcome back. Hey, thank you so much, Juan. I really do miss this, and I'm so glad to be back. I had to take a break, but uh, I'm I'm really happy to, um, yeah, just get onto today's conversation despite the circumstances. But hopefully, you know, this discussion will pick up our spirits some um, before you know we get into it. Absolutely. There's a lot of fun stuff we have to talk about. Um, I mainly wanted to do this. I'll get into the the whole idea, the concept behind me doing this episode in a second. Before we get into the actual show, I want us to give a brief moment of silence for Kobe, his daughter Gigi, and I apologize. We don't have names yet for the other parent and their child uh, that was in the uh, helicopter crash also. Um, so I want to give a moment of silence to someone who is not only a Oscar winner, um, a champion, a father, a husband, someone's son, um, just someone that's very well respected in the world and specifically the basketball world. Kobe Bryant meant so much to so many people. Um, his story is one of the best stories um, going in sports and just in life in general. So um, huge shout out to the Mamba the GOAT, Kobe Bryant. So uh, join us now in taking a moment of silence for Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gigi, the parent and their child.
All right, guys. Um, let's let's get into the episode. Um, okay, so the reason why I came up with the idea for this this topic, which I'm calling the Oscar Roundtable Talk, is I have for a few years now been watching Hollywood Reporters Roundtable, which um, is possibly some of the most inspiring conversation I've ever heard. This roundtable has seen people like Mel Gibson, uh, Benicio Del Toro, Denzel, Will Smith, Samuel Jackson, Mark Ruffalo, um, just so many, so many legends, whether it's actors, comedians, musicians, directors, um, writers, it's seen everyone. And I saw one recently that is the Oscar roundtable the director's Oscar roundtable of Todd Phillips, Martin Scorsese, Greta Gerwig, uh, Noah, Noah uh, I cannot pronounce his, his last name. You guys know I am horrible Bombat. at that. Thank you so much. Bombatch. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and uh, the supremely talented Lulu Wang uh, and Fernando uh, definitely can't pronounce his last name either. Um, but he directed The Two Popes. Um, this was a great roundtable, and the homework that I gave everyone um, was to watch this entire video, because any questions anyone's ever had about the Oscar process, the behind-the-scenes process, um, these big-name directors going over to the streaming services, it's just so enlightening. And for everyone that wanted to... Um, uh, you know, just kind of shade Martin Scorsese about his uh, superhero comments. He was very clear on this episode what he meant by that. And I mean, you know, you either understand it or you don't. I'm not here to convince you either way. Um, but our topics are uh, for this roundtable is going to be um, discussing the politics on why Oscars don't take superhero or box office movies seriously, why directors prefer prefer small budget studios over bigger names, difference between film and box office movies, and why numbers lie when it comes to streaming services, and most importantly, the growth of female directors, and if we feel as though times are changing and it's becoming more of a consistent and normal thing, rather than us feeling the need to always um, highlight it. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, if you're a company and you don't have many, um, you know, minority employees, like you highlighting the fact that they're a minority every chance you get, like, no, that's a problem. That means you should probably be hiring more minorities. So it's more of a normal thing. Like you don't always have to bring it up or um, tip you toe around subjects because it's only that one person. You don't want them to feel isolated. I want that to be what female directors, um, you know, are more accustomed to, to where it's not like, whoa, Black Widow's directed by a female director and it's awesome? Like, no, it's it's a normal thing because female directors are freaking amazing. Um, hence, uh, Greta Gerwig and uh, Lulu Wang. Um, but let's get right into it. I want to start off with um, the politics on why Oscars don't take superhero and box office movies seriously. I had this conversation with my dad and I told him, I know a few people that uh, are attached to studios, obviously, who do some of the, the voting and stuff like that, and they believe that superhero movies and box office movies are cheat codes. My dad did not like that terminology at all. Probably the most angry uh, 
I've ever seen him besides the day I became a Patriots fan. But outside of that, me calling these movies that he loves um, cheat codes, he did not like. Let me be specific on what I mean by cheat codes. If you watch a movie like The Marriage Story, right? The Marriage Story has to do, um, has to create a rich story. Why? Because there's literally nothing else that brings someone to a movie like that except for a great story. If I told you Thor Ragnarok was on television and you didn't know about the MCU or anything like that, there are so many different things that could draw you to that movie outside of the story. The visuals, the superheroes, the names, uh, the aesthetics, like certain things like that, uh, you know, the mythology, things like that. A marriage story can't rely on things like that. It just has to be a good story. Um, so, you know, you watch Fast and the Furious. Those movies stop being good, compelling stories maybe the third movie in. Now it's just fast cars, uh, you know, bullets, um, you know, jumping out of buildings. So it's like a billion other things that can attract you to that movie besides the story. Um, so I look at movies uh, that are Oscar nods and I look at them and I go, these are just stories. Like for example, Joker didn't fall on the guy fell in the, in the chemical uh, acid. The guy was facing Batman. Uh, it didn't follow any of those normal things that would attract someone to the Joker. What did it do instead? It just gave you a great story. No aesthetics, not, you know, nothing crazy, everything in realism. And it gave you that feel of a great story. See, I want to start off with you. What are your thoughts on why the Oscars don't take superhero and box office movies seriously in regards to um, nominating something like um, Avengers Endgame or nominating something like uh, The Watchmen or, or Captain America Winter Soldier or any big box office movie that we might have thought was really, really, really good, but the Oscars would never nominate it? Uh, for anything, best actor, <laughs> uh, best movie, best director, nothing. I mean, when you talk about, like, say, these superhero movies having a cheat code, right? Like, I get that. Not every single um, superhero movie deserves recognition like that because it is an easy, I guess, movie, right? To draw people into because you know the characters, you know that you're going to get a fun story, and most of these movies are just meant to be fun, and they do um, kind of adhere to a formula. At some point, I disagree a little, and I think that the Academy needs to kind of ease up on their like shit against superhero movies because when like, statements like that are made, I feel that at times it diminishes, say, um, what the actors are doing, because we've seen it in a lot of these movies, whether it's DC or Marvel, that regardless if it's, you know, a costume uh, movie, the actors are still giving it their all. They're still giving it their best efforts, you know, and, um, there are definitely scenes where, say, um, uh, you know, Chris Evans is giving a fantastic performance or 
Zoe Saldana is giving a fantastic performance. And who cares if they're wearing a costume or one skin is painted green, you know? Um, obviously, if you look at it against, say, other nominees within that year, then, you know, I can see saying, well, their performance doesn't stack up to another movie's performance, but not wanting to nominate them just simply maybe on the basis that it's a superhero movie does seem a little tired and outdated to me because I do think that their performances shouldn't be so neglected when it comes to certain things. Like, let's just use the example of Marriage Story, right? And Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson did amazing performances in Marriage Story. They gave so much emotion. But we've seen in Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War, this, 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 and that, plenty of times where other characters have given maybe the same level of emotion, but they would never be recognized because of just the nature of their movies. And I think that that is something that needs to be eased up a bit. Um, and it should come to a point where superheroes, superhero movies, if they're good, um, not just because you like them in their fan service, but if they're good, should be measured and nominated for more than just a visual effect. That's my personal um, thought with it. I think that as we move forward, these are the norms of movies that are being done. Now, granted, 2019 is a fantastic year for non-superhero movies, and we see that. That's why it's such a tight race. And we've also seen that as the reason why other performances weren't nominated either. I um, read this whole article where they interviewed, say, several Academy members and them giving the reasons as to why someone like J-Lo or Adam Sandler or Eddie Murphy weren't nominated. Those weren't superhero movies, but those were movies outside of what is considered a normal Oscar-worthy movie or because of the actor, even if they gave a good performance because they're not considered Oscar actors, they weren't given that nomination. And it seems a little biased, honestly, and a little prejudicial at times um, for them to kind of have already that in mind and not even bother to want to offer a nomination. So. I know this is like a really long-winded answer to the question that was given to me. That's just basically how I feel about it. It seems a little snobbish sometimes, uh, the reasoning why certain things aren't nominated over others. I, I, I see where you're coming from. I just think if you're the Academy and you open that door, um, the floodgates will open. And what will happen is movies, like the movies outside of Joker that are being nominated this year, um, will start to become further and further and further away, um, you know, from what people even are, are tuning in to, to really, um, you know, want to see win awards. Um, like, picture to you if they let Endgame in for Best Picture this year. Do you really think people would have tuned in wanting to see the marriage story win over Endgame? No, not really, no. And if Endgame wins, that then opens the door for people to say, well, the Batman was great. Is it going to get nominated? And then it just, the floodgates if, open. Go ahead. If it's, a good, if it's a good movie, then it should be um, 
you know, measured on that. All movies, except for, I guess, biopics, but still, all movies are fictional, fictionalized stories of other things. So we're just pretty much saying what fictionalized story is worth more than another fictionalized story. And on top of, you know, trying to measure, like, against performances, I'm sorry, they keep nominating Laura Dern for her performance in Marriage Story. That is not an Oscar-worthy performance via she gets a nomination. I just, it, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky because there's no right or wrong answer here. I want that to be very clear, no matter what anyone's opinions are, including myself. There is no right or wrong answer. The problem is, what we are looking, or specifically what you're looking for them to deem as Oscar-worthy is a form of art that I can honestly tell you the studio does not respect to you. Um, I mean, think about it. I don't think The Dark Knight would have been nominated had Heath Ledger not passed away. I don't think that movie would have been as revered as it was. Um, this Joker movie, you you couldn't fight that like this is you could make a case this joker movie is better than any other movie that's being nominated you could make a case i'm not saying it is i'm saying you could make that case i cannot name on one hand many superhero movies that i could say that for um so it's like it's hard it's just hard and i personally as someone who is just a fan of film i need to see more movies um, than I actually do. Um, but I do look at movies like, um, excuse me, like The Farewell, uh, directed by Lulu Wang. And I'm like, you put box office movies in, her movie could be a movie that no one really pays attention to. And they should. It was a great movie. Um, one of the reasons why I'm sh- like strongly in love with Aquafina. Um, but, you know, movies like that would get pushed and pushed and pushed. Um, I mean, think think about it like this, T, and then I'm gonna pass it to you, pal. Um, was it Roma that won last year? That that uh, was a Netflix movie. It was Roma, right? Yeah, no, Roma didn't win last year. Didn't? No. When did Roma? Green Book won Best Picture last year. So Roma didn't win anything. No. So Roma, what Roma took home was uh, Best Foreign Film, Best uh, Director, and Best Cinematography. And it okay. was considered a front runner for Best Picture, but then Green Book took it home, and that's just like okay. it's just it, you know it's its own conversation why uh, people speculate uh, why Roma um, didn't take it home, but it was a very strong contender. No, I'm with you, but that, the the point I was trying to make of of bringing up Roma is that you add in these box office movies, a movie that already billions of people when they were watching the Oscars were like, what the hell is Aroma? Um, so you yep. add in more box office films, you now have a stronger percentage of the world that just aren't really paying attention to these um, these smaller movies. And the argument I was having with my dad when he was making the case of these movies being taken seriously, his, uh, his point was um, these movies don't make any money. And I tell him, these movies don't spend a lot of money, Dad. Like, <laughs> you watch The Farewell, you don't think, like, oh, man, they had to spend, like, $100 million to make this movie. No, they probably spent, like, 20 25 maybe $30 million. So it's like if they get $40 million in the box office, 
they feel as though it's it, it's an accomplishment. And if they get an Oscar nod, that's an even bigger accomplishment. So I'm like, you can't hold box office success against these smaller budgeted movies. They're not looking for box office success. Like, spoiler alert, they're not looking for that. These studios don't care. Um, A24, pal, if I'm not mistaken, is who um, was behind Lulu Wang's uh, The Farewell. Um, A24, yep. A24 didn't fund this movie saying, yo, we need, we need $300 million or or sorry, you know, we're, we're never picking you up again. No, of course not. The best thing for A24 is that they're attached to this movie being nominated. That, to them, is a win. Um, so I pass it to you, pal. Uh, do you see it that way? Do you see it to where it's like it's unfair to hold box office against these smaller studios? Um, and then just your overall thoughts on why you think the Oscars don't take superhero and box office movies seriously. So I think, you know, obviously we think to um, back at that comment that Martin Scorsese made about Marvel saying that um, he doesn't like Marvel movies or he doesn't think it's art or whatever. I think that, you know, a lot of people obviously were upset about that comment, but um, what we need to think about when we see uh, how the box office works, how the Oscars work, how people value, you know, quote-unquote box office movies versus smaller indie films, whatever you want to call them. Um, I think it just really depends on like, I think the reason why the Oscars may value certain movies over box office movies is maybe that's just a way of saying, hey, I actually want people to pay attention to certain kind of movies because maybe we don't want to move towards the direction of the point where all that movie studios create are just box office movies, if that makes sense. You know, there's like the system that they follow, like uh, movies that come from Marvel, from Disney, from you know, these bigger studios like Universal and all that, they follow a certain kind of formula to make people want to come to the movie theaters, make people pay money for those movie tickets, so that way movie theaters don't run out of business, right? But I, at the same time, that is in, um, that what that is sacrificing is the smaller films, like, you know, you guys mentioned Marriage Story, Farewell. Uh, the Farewell, actually, John, because you were talking about it, I looked it up, their budget was only $3 million, and they obviously made more than that. Their box office total was at – it was nearly $20 million. So for a small indie film that came out of a, a small studio like A24, that's incredible. But, again, those numbers are nothing, nothing compared to what you see uh, with bigger box office hits like, you know, Avengers Endgame, even a Joker movie, right? Um, so I guess the way I see it, I want to say that, you know, film is subjective. Like that, that's like, you know, no matter where we get in this conversation, I think we can all agree that film is subjective. What I think makes a great movie might be different than what Juwan thinks, what Tia thinks. It it doesn't matter. You know, like as long as, um, a movie makes you feel something and if you think the movie's good, then, you know, that's all that should matter. Um, but the thing is, what will get people to come to, you know, the box office, sadly, are, like, these bigger blockbuster hits, like, anything comes from Marvel, anything that comes from Disney, and, um, you know, because of that, people think that that's what will keep making people come out of the, get out of the house to watch movies, and that's what's, that's what's going to get, uh, keep getting produced, right? Um, 
but when it comes to the Oscars, I just feel like, yeah, see, you mentioned how, you know, it kind of comes off pretentious or snobby. They think that, you know, you have to, like, um, meet a certain criteria to be, quote-unquote, an Oscar kind of movie. And when we, what we typically see are, you know, differences between an Oscar movie, quote-unquote, versus, like, a, quote-unquote, box office movie is that maybe Oscar movies are a little bit more artsy. They're a bit more complex, maybe the um the characters in the movie are you know a little bit more complicated or i don't know like they follow a certain kind of formula that maybe box office movies don't follow and the only movies we've seen that kind of break that mold and manage to get the oscar's intentions are movies like the dark knight uh black panther last year and then this year you know joker um and it's kind of interesting to see how you know, that's still, like, the, uh, the Dark Knight came out about 10 years, over 10 years now, and it's, like, 10 years later, this is where we're at now. Only, I, I guess, like, two other huge superhero movies, or civilian movies, have gotten that Oscar attention, and I don't think that it's something that, I, I don't think at any point, like, in the next five years, I don't think all we're going to see are, you know, box office movies being nominated for Oscars, but I think that the, uh, the, the Academy is willing to consider other takes of movies that maybe they don't think is quote-unquote um, artsy or quote-unquote uh, what they would consider following that Oscar formula. But um, I, I'm, I'm just hoping that movies like Black Panther, movies like Joker, that even though they're two completely different movies, the reason why they're getting the attention they're getting not just the box office numbers, but just the message, the cultural impact that they both had. That's the reason why I believe those movies have made it to the Oscars because of because of that. And it just so happens that they are superhero movies or comic book movies. And um, I, I, you know, I still don't know if it's going to be enough for the uh, for the Academy to consider you know future Marvel movies to uh, be considered as a Best Picture nominee. I think we're kind of far from that. But I mean, I I, this, I feel like I'm just rambling at this point. But like, I think that it it really is subjective. It really depends on who is currently in the academy that are voting on these movies and uh, you know advocating for these movies because it really is like a, an election campaign. These votes, these, these movies depend on those votes to get them to win. Um, and it depends on who watches what because not every movie gets to be seen. And um, I guess the reason why, you know, Joker seems to be more popular than other movies is just because, you know, more people have seen it. And I think it's, I think that's just luck on their part. Like, it's, it's just so happens that they, they were really successful in that. But, you know, there are other movies that I feel like should have gotten more attention that were, I, I think, uh, you know, objectively or subjectively, whatever, however you want to see it, were a better movie than, say, Joker or, say, um, Avengers Endgame, that, you know, it will never get the attention from the Academy just because, I don't know, they're a smaller movie. Like Joanne said, they keep getting pushed and pushed away from the audience eyes, and, you know, no one's going to be able to see it because people think that those aren't the movies that people want to watch. People just want to watch box office movies. So I hope that all makes sense where, where I'm coming from. No, I, I, I completely get get where you're coming from. Uh, before I pass it to you, AJ, um, uh, let me say what I'm going to say, and I'm going to see if Tia wanted to respond to anything that, that Pal said, but I get where you're coming from. My only issue is these movies, like, when you watch Joker, when you watch Watchmen, when you watch um, The Dark Knight, 
One thing we have to remember is that they drastically feel different than any other superhero movie. That's why I call right. them I call them comic book films. And everyone and their mother has for years been telling me that I'm wrong in trying to separate the two, but there is a drastic difference. I don't even consider oh, I you. Yeah. Thank you. I don't even consider where to consider consider, sorry, Winter Soldier a comic book film. It still is a Marvel film. It just feels different than the other Marvel films. You watch yeah. Watchmen, The Dark Knight, and Joker, it's something on a completely different level. So that's why when people watch it, they're like, Logan also, I'm sorry, I, I, I left out Logan. Uh, but the main there reason, I'm going to tell, tell you guys this, what an executive told me on why Logan wasn't going to be taken seriously um, about being nominated is that it still felt like a superhero movie. Uh, and what yeah. they meant by that was the elements of it being a superhero. Like Joker, never felt like a superhero movie. Watchmen, unless you read the comics, they still didn't feel like superheroes. Um, you know, uh, you watch Logan, it's still the essence of the X-Men. Um, so it's hard to separate, like, it being this just beautiful movie and the fact that it's also relying on the fact that it's able to do things that Joker couldn't. Like, Joker didn't rely on, on, yeah. on Batman. You know, it, yeah. it told in its own story. Yeah. I, I was wondering, if I can say in defense for these, you know, quote-unquote comic book films or, you know, the more artsy films, <laughs> more artsy comic book films, right? Um, I, I do want to say that um, it, when I watched The Dark Knight for the first time, I think I was probably middle school going on to high school, and that was the first time I, that I remember watching a movie that felt way more than a movie, right? And right. so I, you know, I will have to credit those kind of comic book films that people are watching because I feel like even though they may fall into that Marvel formula, whatever you want to call it, I still think we need to give it a little bit of credit because maybe those people will end up like me, you know, they only watch, you know, a Disney movie or a Marvel movie. That, that's the only reason why they go to movie theaters. But maybe one movie will come along that's going to open up their eyes and see and realize that maybe movies are more than just movies. Like, this made me actually feel something. And it's going to uh, uh, maybe allow them to consider watching other kinds of movies and end up turning them to be a movie freak after that. Like, that, that's what happened to me. Like, I think um, I, I give uh, a lot of credit to Dar The Dark Knight. For, it sounds kind of cliche, but like The Dark Knight really was like one of those movies that just made me realize, wow, this is so much more than just a Batman movie. And I think that a lot of people may have uh, experienced that when watching a movie like Black Panther or a movie like Joker or Logan or whatever. And um, and, and you know that that it could be possible that it opened up their minds and wanting to watch more movies that could make them feel that same way. And then they, they end up watching other kinds of movies that isn't just Marvel or isn't just Disney. So I, I just want, I wanted to give that in defense for these comic book films. Cause I feel like we, we may end up, it sounds like we're bashing on them, but at the same time, I think we, we need to give more credit to. No, I'm with you. And I, I think people respect us and know us well enough to know that we're not dissing um these other movies were huge fans of them like you guys know how much i talk about uh, i just finished talking about winter soldier with tia yesterday um so like there's there's no hate on on these movies at all it's just there's there's levels there, you know there's different kinds of levels and again this is all this is 
all based on opinion. None of this is, is factual. Um, so I'm not saying it like it's factual. Um, but Tia, did you have any response to, to anything that was said before I pass it to AJ? Um, no, I think that you and Paolo made really good points. It's just, you know, I, I don't think that anyone will ever agree with um, who is nominated with the Oscars, right? We're always right. going to feel like there are snubs. If you look at this year's Oscar list, I think that this is a, uh, such a strong list, right? Such a strong list to have all of these fantastic movies, these amazing actors. Like, it's just, you know me, I love Ford versus Ferrari. So I thought that was nominated. Awesome. Joker's nominated. Awesome. You know, all these other things that I saw and I felt are Oscar worthy movies are nominated, right? But then you have uh, Uncut Gems that was not recognized at all, Honey Boy, which is not recognized at all, um, all these other movies not recognized at all. Um, and I don't even think. The Farewell was nominated for an Oscar, right? No. Nope. They right? were nominated not for one award, and I'm still not over it. <laughs> it hurts. Yeah, so and that's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. So it's like, while I'm happy for all of these other awards, I sit there and realize there were so many other performances who unfortunately got the shit end of the stick. And I did not see The Farewell because I refused to see it. And when I say that, it's because I will literally never recover from it because I'm it, like the trailer alone made me sob at work. Um, but the fact that it was not nominated was incredibly uh, shocking, you know? So I, I don't understand sometimes the Oscar process. Um, it definitely seems like sometimes they're a little tone deaf when it comes to their nomination. Yeah, no, uh, very fair. Pal, did you happen to see, I don't know if I sent you the link, but the director's, uh, roundtable for Hollywood Reporter with Lulu Wang, uh, Todd Phillips, and yeah, yeah. you did. No, so I actually have not gotten the chance to see it, but I, I mean, if it helps, I have seen all of the movies that were, um, you know, mentioned by those directors. So hopefully that'll help in in the conversation. But no, I I haven't gotten the chance to see it. No, no, no. I, I don't even necessarily mean for the show. I just mean. I know your love for film. You'll love that. Yeah. Um, and oh, I know. Actually, I, I bookmarked it. I just need to sit down and find the time to actually watch it all. I actually watched the actors one with De Niro, uh, Jamie mm-hmm. Foxx, Kyle LaBeouf. Um, uh, Wasn't Adam Driver in it too? Adam Driver, Tom Hanks, and that I think was the full table. I could be missing like yeah. one person. Um, but to hear Shia LaBeouf uh, tell his story, uh, about how much he hated his dad, um, how forgiving him helped heal him, uh, rehab, mm-hmm. stuff like that, how honey, uh, how his movie was more of a, uh, this is my last, you know, this is what I feel as though the last thing I can offer, rather than him making something that he, you know, that he necessarily loved or something, he felt like it was something he had to do, like it was a necessity, uh, like, you know, it, it was life or death for him. Uh, just hearing him talk mm-hmm. just makes me, makes me want to support this guy so much um, because you don't get a lot of these stories uh, through the media. The media just tells you like, oh, no, he just screamed at an old lady on a bus today. Like it doesn't tell you what he's actually going through. So to hear it from his own words, uh, powerful. And I love that interview. I, I could listen to it a billion times a day. <laughs> but um, sorry, AJ, 
Sorry, I've talked enough. Um, AJ, uh, tell me why you think um, the Oscars don't take superhero or box office movies um, seriously. AJ? Did I talk so much? AJ left? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm here. <laughs> okay. I'm here. My bad. Uh, <laughs> You're good, brother. I, I just want to say that you guys are probably some of the smartest people that I know that in the film community, comic book community, and all that. And I just have to say, that was an incredible talk. Um, but um, what you guys were talking about with um, comic book movies that surpass um, – it's actual genre, like superhero and comic book movies. Um, I always talk about this a lot. Um, there are some movies that surpass the said genre, and there's movies that just, that makes the genre incredible. And for movies that make the um, genre, um, that surpass the um, genre of what it's supposed to be, like a comic book movie, like Dark Knight, I think, surpasses the genre of comic book movie. Um, V for Vendetta, I think, also surpasses that. Logan, Joker, I think, all surpass the that expectation that we all ha- we all have of said superhero or comic book movie. Um, that being said, um, why I think the Oscars, the Academy Awards, don't take superhero box office movies as seriously, it, I think it's because that previous superhero box office movies were, I guess, just pure, mindless box office, or sorry, blockbuster films in the past. Now, I think things have been updated. Um, It's been more rejuvenated with more storytelling, stronger world building, and all of that, at the same time with having great visuals and great cinematography and great editing, music, all of that. And I feel like to have for best picture, you need to have every single thing. So that includes editing, cinematography, all the things already listed. And I feel like some of the movies like Dark Knight, Still, Logan, I think deserve to be best picture because it has all those things, but at the same time, we also have movies that's low budget, and I feel like the Academy Award focuses on more on low budget films because directors and their um, and their team have more creative control um, with their movie. So I just feel like that the Oscars feel like those are more deserving because it's not being controlled by producers and all of that. So I just feel. And so, like, um, the more um, control the directors have, the more ambitious the film is, and the better the chance it is to win an Oscar or be nominated as Oscar, I should say. Like, Joker is is known as a comic book movie, but Todd Phillips had more creative control than any other DC movie as of yet, and... I think, personally, I think it deserves the best picture now. Um, there was nine this year, right? Not ten? Yeah, I think so. Nine. Yeah, there were nine. Yeah, I think, yeah. and I wish they would have added one more. Uh, 
I wish they added the farewell because the list that I see right now with 4v4 Ari the Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Woman, I agree that they all should be. Actually, no, I don't agree the Irish should be on there, but <laughs> we can talk about that another time. Um, but I just feel like these are movies that deserve to be nominated, and we all have our opinions, so that just makes it even tougher. And this um, movies are based off subjective and not really objective opinions because you can't really have an objective p- opinion. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I just it, feel like it's, go ahead, go on. No, go ahead, yeah, AJ. I just, I just, I just feel like that it's a it's a tough place to be. Um, whether you're in the Academy um, Academy Awards or whatever thing that's subjective because. Nobody will all agree on which movies should be deserving. And like Tia said, um, things will be snubbed, and you said as well, that things will be snubbed any year. It doesn't matter how good the movie is, how bad the movie is, things will be snubbed no matter how you look at it. So, yeah. I, I, I look at it like this. I look at it to where when you watch the Grammys, right, and you go best album, and you see uh, – my left foot had an album, right? And then you see Rihanna, Beyonce, uh, you know, J. Cole, Kendrick, right? When you look at my my left foot, you're gonna go, Oh, there's no way they're winning. <laughs> like, even if their album was better, they're not winning, right? So then the Grammys might go, I might actually pick them because I thought their album was better. I'm not gonna go with the name, I'm not gonna go with someone who's you know. Uh, the equivalent of a box office hit like Beyonce. And that's where you get these upsets. Uh, you guys remember the year Taylor Swift won it over Beyonce, Kanye's infamous rant. Um, there is a, a argument to be made that some people might think that album was better than Beyonce. Um, you know, or like some people might think the... Go ahead, I'm sorry, AJ. Uh, I think there lies like some ignorance to that because some people might not have listened to said mu- uh, music or listen to that music, so they wouldn't know if it's good or not. They'll just pick someone that they actually know. And I just no, feel like there's true. a... You're, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That's how Macklemore won over Kendrick, because the guys that that vote in the Grammys aren't the kind of guys you'd assume would sit down and listen to a Kendrick Lamar album. So, think about this. Macklemore's music is in Target, is in Kmart, is in Sears, their grandchildren probably listen to Macklemore. Um, so, like, if you're voting, you're probably going with the guy you hear 24-7. I know when I worked at Target, they had Taylor Swift on a loop. So much so, if I ever saw her in that point, I would have watched. <laughs> um, like, so, I mean, you go with what you know, and I think that is the case here. So, I think you got a lot of these Oscar voters that don't really care for these movies. Like, there's a reason why there wasn't a bigger outcry when Scorsese said his original comments. Uh, a lot of people agree with it when it comes to um, how they pick, how they view film compared to these superhero movies or these big box office movies. Um, you know, and, and again, I'm not here to defend or, or ridicule anything Martin Scorsese has to say. That's That's for him to do. I'm just saying... When it comes to, and this will leak into our next topic, 
a lot of people do view the difference between film and these kind of uh, box office movies. And again, very suggest, uh, su- suggestive, um, you know, to, to how you want to view it. Art is art. So if you view these superhero mu- movies as art, they are art because that is what, you know, you deem it to be. But a lot of people in these studios do look at their movies to being different than these other box office movies. For example, and I'm going to pass it to to you, Tia. Um, When I watched Black Panther yesterday, right, I left that movie saying the visuals weren't that good, to be very clear. They were not that good. I don't know what Coogler was, was doing wrong when it came to that. They weren't all that good. But if you think a bit more about it, there weren't many visuals needed in that movie. There were maybe three scenes of visuals were necessary in that movie, right? The rest of that movie was just great story. So you look at Black Panther and you kind of go, well, this is obviously drastically different than Thor Ragnarok, <laughs> you know, um, to where you go into Thor Ragnarok and you're just having a really good time. Black Panther is more of an intellectual film um, that does not rely heavily on the fact that it's a superhero movie. Um, outside of, again, those three scenes I could think of off the top of my head that needed or asked for it to be a visual, uh, try to be a visual spectacle or lean on elements of being a superhero movie. It just, like, it was an intellectual movie for me. Uh, this is, again, my opinion, that I received it to being more of an intellectual movie. So I look at that and I go, that's why I consider Black Panther different than, uh, you know, most Marvel movies is because it was able to separate itself. Um, but Tia, I'll, I'll pose the question to you. What do you deem to be the biggest difference between quote unquote film um, and box office movies? When I think of box office movies, I think of the whatever Dwayne Johnson is doing. To me, that's a, box office movie, something that is really huge. It has a lot of explosions. There's going to be a car chase scene. It's going to be um, pretty much a paint-by-numbers with the story and the climax and all of that. Um, And not that it's going to be a bad movie. It's going to be a good time. You're going to go through. You're going to have a lot of fun, and you're going to be able to kind of walk away from that, having uh, forgotten about all of your worldly woes for the past two and a half hours. Um, And then film is something that takes a little bit more of its time to craft something. I'll use one of the Oscar uh, movies and one that we don't talk about a lot, um, Jojo Rabbit, right? From the outside, like, this is what's fantastic about Jojo Rabbit being nominated, right? Because from the outside, it's a comedy. You saw the trailers, you saw this comedy, you just saw Taika Waititi is doing what Taika Waititi did in Thor Ragnarok. He's making a funny movie that we're all going to laugh about. But when you actually go and you sit down and you watch Jojo Rabbit, it is crafted to make you think to send a message, to really tell a story um, that was incredibly well done. I love that movie, and I think it deserves to be nominated. So to me, that's film. To me, film is something, and film doesn't need to, say, be 
quote unquote smaller, it just concentrates maybe a little bit more on story than it does the action sequences. Like you said, Juan, with Black Panther, right? There were action sequences in Black Panther, but it also made sure to tell this background story. It told you about the culture of Wakanda. It talked about the politics between uh, the Wakandan government and the outside government. We had that within one movie that really made it more of a story-driven movie rather than an action-driven movie. Because we go and see Marvel movies, we want to see the big, we want to see the big payoff battle scene, right? Um, and that's what all of them are, but not, say, Black Panther in so many senses. Maybe they should have worked on their CGI a little, because I'll agree, that's some of the worst CGI I've seen in the Marvel movies, which is a disappointment. But um, I, I agree with you with what you say, how that is a little different than the other Marvel films. So when I think about uh, cinema and slash film, um, I also, that's how I categorize it different than, say, a blockbuster movie. But at the same time, I will say, and I know, like, as Paola said before, like Martin Scorsese's uh, comments and how we all kind of reacted to it, my issue with his comments originally was that it seemed like he was trying to invalidate other movies from being, say, cinema. They're all cinema. They're all movies. They all have aspects that, like, to me, I think differently of a Dwayne Johnson movie to a Marvel movie because there are Dwayne Johnson movies, and I'm not shitting on him. He's a great person, you know, and I'm just saying, like, his type of movies, the Fast and Furious type movies, they are very mindless. And they really are just the explosions in the car scene. But there are Marvel movies and DC movies that while they do have the car scenes, they do have the action sequences, they do also have story to them and make sure to kind of develop that world um, while also being action films. So there's my convoluted kind of uh, explanation for how I see the differences between the two. Just, uh, just saying. No, I mean, I, like, because I know a lot of people are gonna hear this podcast, and, and and they're gonna they're gonna probably slam the the heck out of me for it. But to me, there is a difference. There is a difference. Um, you know, if 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 we take it to music, if I listen to a J Cole album or a Kendrick album, and then I listen to a Lil Pump's album, there's a difference. It's all music. Don't get me wrong. It's all music. The content. Why'd you is... subject yourself to that? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. Um, but there is a difference. So you can't tell me there isn't a difference between film and these big box office movies. Uh, w- when I had my interview with uh, with the um, uh, one of the executive producers of the Hitman movie, um, one thing we were talking about was how we thought, and we called this a mile away. We thought Joker had the potential to merge the two worlds where it could be a big box office hit and it could merge the world of these comic book films to where we don't have to worry about a movie of Logan's caliber coming out again and not getting any recognition. Um, you know, like this movie could be the – if this movie wins um, anything, that could start to push the envelope 
for Warner Brothers to do a Lex Luthor movie um, with Brian Cranston. That could be so compelling that gets nominated. You could have so many other different kinds of things. Um, if Disney was smart, they would do a legacy movie about Stan Lee. Again, you could have um, uh, Brian Cranston do that. So I'm like, you could start to merge it. But one thing I can almost guarantee you guys, the Academy will never do, is nominate the Eternals or nominate Guardians. Like, it, it just does not seem like something they are going to ever do for Best Director, Best Picture, uh, anything like that, because they view it as a difference. They look at, um, you know, uh, these these movies that are nominated this year, and they kind of go, you wanted me to nominate Endgame? Like, no, sorry. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'm like, it does not mean these movies are bad, but there is a difference. Pow, can you speak to that? What is your opinion on the difference between film and box office movies? Well, let me see. So, I, yeah, I, you guys all made really good points. And I guess for me, when I think about, you know, a movie that's coming out of a studio like A24 versus a movie that comes out of a, oh, sorry, I'm in my car, so that was my horn, <laughs> um, or a, a studio that, like Disney, that is way bigger, has more money, has more people involved, and all that. You know, I think, for me, when I, when I see a movie like the farewell that came from a studio like A24 versus um, let's see, let, let's let's pick on Aladdin that came out last year from Disney. You know, these movies that come out of Disney, they have a bunch of money. They have a bunch of people that I'm sure are involved in the creative direction of the film, and maybe that causes the director or whoever is in charge of putting this movie together to have some limitations when it comes to maybe the vision that they have for the film because they have to get it approved, they have to make sure that everyone's happy or else it won't get put on the big screen. But then when you look at smaller films uh, that come out of from, you know, A24 or um, Neon, which is another independent, um, a a smaller indie film studio that has um, produced movies like, or not, not produced, distributed movies like Parasite, like um, Apollo 11, which was a you know big documentary that was pretty popular last year. Um, let's see what else. There were other movies that they produced that turned out to be some of my favorite movies of the year, just like A24. I think these smaller uh, these smaller films that may be quote unquote more like Oscar bait movies. I think that they have you know a small budget to work with. Maybe they have some no names in the movie. Maybe they, but because, like, because there's like not that many people involved or that, you know, a big CEO that's overpowering them with these, this checklist that they have to make sure that they um, mark all the way through to make sure that they get approval to put this movie on the big screen. I think that the smaller films tend to have a little bit more creative direction. And because of that, we see these smaller movies that, uh, that are um, maybe bold in some of the decision-making of the film. Uh, like, I'm thinking of, I haven't seen The Lighthouse, but I hear, you know, that's a pretty um, uh, in, in, intense horror movie in a way that it's just not, it's just way out there. It's unlike any other horror movie that people have seen before. Um, there, there's just, like, even Marriage Story, I feel like 
you, you know, we, we brought that up, so I, I figured let, let's just bring it up again. You know, that movie is a divorce movie. You know, like, that's not going to be fun. Like, why would someone want to watch a movie about a couple going through a divorce? Well, I think the fact that, you know, you have a director that was, you know, Netflix kind of saw the potential in the story. And, I, you know, because of that, I, I think that this is an, a movie that I feel could have even gotten a green light say if it came from like Disney or Marvel because of like the direction that it was going towards usually a box office movie like he was saying you know they are a good time you know pretty much you, uh, it's going to be a crowd pleaser it's going to make you feel happy at the end it's probably going to have a somewhat happy ending um, it's probably going to go the way you expect it to these other Oscar baby or smaller films like sometimes it's a, you know it can be depressing it can be like the most intense drama movie you've ever seen all year. And that's probably why it's getting Oscar attention. Like, who knows? Like, maybe that's why, um, that's why the Academy kind of calls to it because they dislike those kind of movies more than, say, a big action box office hit. Um, so I think that's how I would differentiate between the two. Um, for, but for me, like, I mean, I still pay to watch those kind of movies. Like, I, if it's a good movie, if I'm having a good time, and, you know, if, if I deem it as art or not art, like, I'm, you know, I, I think this is just, for me, as long as I'm happy in the end, like I was with Endgame, like I was with The Farewell, like, as long as I see it, um, if, if I love the movie while watching it, that's a lot I can ask for. You know, it's different when it's a, um, a box office movie that I personally didn't like, like, say, Aladdin. Aladdin was one of those movies that made over a billion dollars at the box office, and I didn't think it was a good movie at all. That's when, but that's when I kind of get frustrated with box office movies because I don't want people to think uh, in Hollywood that those that's the kind of movies that need to keep making. Like I kind of want them to be bold and like decide to make something else besides that because they're missing out on some other really good stuff. But you know they're gonna go where the money takes them, and right now the money is paying for those box office hits. So. That's kind of where we're standing at right now. It'd be interesting to see how we change the definition of these movies in the next five years, but who knows? Yeah, but that's that's what I'm saying. That's why you can't look at a movie that doesn't make money and say, oh, it's not a good movie because it didn't make money. The same way you can't look at a movie that makes a crap load of money and say, oh, well, that makes that means it was a good movie. Like, no. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, this is, man, this is back when Punisher Warzone came out. That, by the way, still one of the most slept on, uh, superhero movies ever. But anyway, I remember watching, um, ABC News and the guy was reviewing the movie. And I mean, he was saying possibly the worst stuff you could say about a movie. Um, and it was, at, it was as me and my dad and my cousin were about to go see it. And I'm just like, there's no way this movie could be that bad. Like, there's just no way the way he was talking. Um, so I went in, we saw the movie, we walked out, and again, it's still, to me, one of the best superhero movies ever made. Um, and I'm like, that's, the reason I bring that up is because we look at things and we deem that to mean the world. Um, and we have to remember, it, it's it's objective. So you see it, and if you like it, okay, that's it. That's the end. Um, if someone else saw it and they hated it, cool, no problem. That's the end. But what we have to stop doing is putting so much stock in, oh, man, Twitter saying it's horrible. 
I'll take my time. Like, n- I don't think that's what that means. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, 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 I don't connect those dots. Um, I kind of see it to where it's like, if they didn't like it, maybe it's not their cup of tea. Um, you know, now if it's someone that you respect or you revere or you think, you know, has the same taste as you, okay, no problem. I'm just saying we live in a world now to where I could go to Twitter right now and say, man, I just love bad boys. And it is garbage. And then if it gets like a thousand retweets and likes and comments, people go, maybe I shouldn't see it. No, that's not what that means. <laughs> like, that is not what that means at all. Um, but AJ, I'm going to go to you before we move on to our next topic. Um, do you see a, a, a an overwhelming difference between film and, and box office movies? Okay. First, I want to touch on that uh, that box office and analogy you were on just a moment ago. Um I had I just had a recent debate on this not too long ago. Um explaining how box office can affect the not sorry, how Twitter, social media social media like Twitter, Instagram, all that can affect the the opinions of someone and how box office how sorry, how box box office contradicts what social media and all that um all that has to do with it. Um with box office so Star Wars for example, Star Wars on like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook is probably one of the most what's the word? Mixed mixed um movie of uh out of last year, right? Yeah, last year. And I had a argument Saying that more more people enjoyed Star Wars than that didn't enjoy it, um, but we bring in like Rotten Tomatoes and yeah, Rotten Tomatoes and social media saying like nobody really liked this movie because Rotten Tomatoes had like a what forty percent, thirty percent, seventy or fifty percent on it. But my thing is. Um, with box office, it doesn't prove that the movie is good, like you said before, but it does prove the overall enjoyment within the general public. I feel like at least that's what box office proves, and that's why more studio heads look at box office more than the Rotten Tomato score, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, the difference between, for me at least, the difference between like film and, I guess, box office movies or blockbuster movies is that for film, it focuses on story, it focuses on the cinematography, editing, music to match the said story style. Um, sometimes they can oversimplify things to make things more confusing, and some people are turned off by that. And at the same time, they can draw out more emotion than. A regular blockbuster movie, I think, like Human Emotion more than blockbuster movies uh, for bo- um, box office. Just like Tia thinks of The Rock, I think of my, <laughs> I think of Michael Bay. Um, just what fills with explosions, sometimes great visuals. Um, even the visuals can overshadow the story. Um, sometimes that's a lack of story, and it can be mind numbing, dumb, and all of that. But in recent years, like I'm going to say 
2015 and onwards, I feel like there have been, like, a fine line between, like, box office and film. I feel like some box office movies feel like a film. Um, at times, like, you had Black Panther. Like, Black Panther had a fantastic story. Um, I agree with that. But the visuals near the end, I actually like the visuals a little bit. But that end fight sequence between Black Panther and Killmonger, I would say it was atrocious. Much like Wonder Woman, great story. Uh, terrible visuals at the end. So I will consider those like a mix between great film and uh, total like box office or blockbuster movie. Um, so I I feel like they're starting to, like in recent years I feel like they're starting starting to between like a fine line between the differences between film and box office. One is crossing over to the other, and I think we're gonna get better um, box office movies more intellectual box office movies. Just like Paul said, um, he was hoping that we can start upgrading our movies, uh, box office movies, to feel more, have more emotion to it and have greater stories to it. And I feel like we're getting closer and closer to that now. With, um, example, Endgame gave me some of the strongest emotions I've ever felt in my entire life uh, when it comes to movies. Um but yeah, see, and, yeah. But see, when you say that, I want to ask you this because I've heard someone say that before. And my question to that is, did Endgame make you feel like that because of the movie itself or because of the implications of 10 plus years worth of movie? Like if Endgame was its own movie. Uh, and the only reason I'm asking you this, AJ, is because I still don't see how people feel as though Endgame was a better movie than Infinity War. Um, but do you feel that way because of the, like the closing of 10 plus years? Or did you feel as though that movie on its own merit was that emotional? Oh, no, it was because of the 10 plus years. I felt like the buildup was done in a perfect way that made me feel that way. And I do agree with you. I think Infinity War is better than Endgame as a whole. Um, I've seen people, um, what is it, um, debate between Endgame and Logan who had a better death. And I always argued that Logan had a better death because it only had one movie. Well, actually, it had more than, I guess, technically it had more than one movie. But within that one movie itself, it had more, I think, more of a powerful story on its own with Logan and Hugh Jackman. And I feel like their deaths by themselves, I felt like it was more powerful than um, um, Tony Stark and the leaving of Captain America. Um, but regardless of that, I just think that Kevin Feige planned that. So I can just see the entirety of the MCU as one movie, as one whole movie, and just say that that ending with Endgame, I thought was still well-deserved. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's move on. <clears throat> I want to talk about, I want to kind of loop this together. I kind of want to talk about why numbers lie when it comes to streaming services. And I also want to speak a little bit to how, how, not, I don't want to keep using the word toxic. Like, 
I know I've texted the word toxic to Tia and AJ at least 30 times in the past 24 hours. Um, how harmful certain critics can be knowing their, their, their power. Um, so like, for example, if a well-known critic comes out and goes, this movie was horrible, don't go see it. Like, there's going to be quite a lot of people that don't go and see it. Um, so, Tia, I, I want to start with that before we get into to numbers lying on streaming services. Um, because we are considered, um, I guess, movie reviewers and, uh, you know, uh, that whole medium. Uh, do you feel as though a lot of these reviewers hurt movies that aren't necessarily that bad? Um but their taste not being in that movie, you know, their taste not being that movie, it drastically swang people not to like it. Like, for example, if you paid any attention to social media before Batman v Superman came out, you're not surprised on why that did not get rave reviews outside of Kanan. Um, but I know a lot of people that were like, I, just, I take my time to see it, like, People are saying it's god awful, and I'm like, it's not. It's not. It, it's not great, but it's not god awful. Um, but that is how um, powerful critics can be with just a click of a button. Uh, that now people are like, nope, I don't want to go see it. So Tia, how how destructive do you think some of that is, and do you see a lot of critics kind of abusing the power of of knowing that they could sway opinion enough? to uh, not affect the box office, but um, maybe even affect, like, it, you know, first first night or opening night. Yeah, so two things I have to say about that is there are plenty of critics who go to movies that they have no interest in or that they don't even necessarily like the genre, right? Like, you can have someone, say, who is not a comic book fan, not a superhero fan, says themselves, like, I don't really like, um, you know, superhero movies. And then you tell, and then you sit them down to go see something like Avengers Endgame, right? Just using that as an example. And then suddenly, okay, so because they've never seen any of the other Marvel movies, because they're not necessarily... Um, a superhero fan to begin with, they, you know, look at it differently and they give it a poor review. To me, there needs, it's like, I don't like horror movies, right? So my perception of, say, It Chapter 2 is going to be different than people who saw the first one, who like horror movies. And to me, I want things reviewed by people who are actually passionate. Like, okay, I'll give you a good example, right? Um, Freaking, uh, oh, shit, what? I, I had it, and then, like, all of a sudden, oh, The Witcher. There you go. Um, Kane and I talked about this, right? There were a bunch of people who reviewed The Witcher, and their titles were horrible, don't see, what a waste. And then if you clicked on the review and read it, He'll say, I only watched the first episode. Oh, I watched the first episode, and then I watched the last episode. Well, then you did not give it a proper review. So you have these people who work for bigger sites, so they have 
the range and then they come out with a fancy title and then suddenly you see the title and they're like, oh, this person said this is horrible, so I'm not even going to watch it. And then they don't even read the reviews. And then at the same time, and I know I've even gotten caught up in this, some people give such horrible reviews simply because they were really feeling themselves when they were writing that witty article. They were like, this is so witty. I am being so, like, smart right now and sarcastic, and it is really great. And it may not even have been that bad of a movie, but but because you get caught up in all of that, like, you know, uh, making it entertaining, the article, suddenly you just wrote a review that was slamming a movie that maybe you didn't even feel necessarily that bad about it. So I completely see that there is like an irresponsibility when it comes to some reviewers. American Gods season two, I thought was fantastic. Preferably liked it more than the first season, but you had people who didn't watch it, but were only concentrating on all of the drama behind the scenes and so that caused them to write these poor reviews. So it's just, it's ridiculous. You need to have people who are both fans and also not, um, not walking into something already having a preconceived notion. Because, you know, I, I could walk into Batman vs. Superman and my opinion is swayed because, you know, uh, all the other horrible reviews and suddenly my review could reflect exactly what everyone else was saying. So pretty much that's what I want to get over. I think that a lot of reviewers that we see are not fans. They're not taking their craft seriously. And it is irresponsible, honestly. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is these guys get paid to see all movies, um, even movies they don't have any interest in. Uh, I mean, I keep taking it back to the Grammys. I think because the Grammys are on my mind for because of tonight. But um, if you have someone that's only into country music and you have them reviewing rap, like don't expect them to pick the right winner. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like don't yeah. don't think they're gonna come out here and pick Kendrick over Macklemore. It's it's not gonna happen. Um, so I mean, you know, it, it's just like you said. Like if you're not into horror, I don't want you going to see it chapter two because you're probably not going to, you know, say anything, anything good. Um, I, I know the only time I know Tia, me and you like very strongly disagreed is, is on my Punisher season two review. Um, and I did go into that movie again, thinking Punisher Warzone was one of the greatest Punisher stories told. Um, and I remember what Jigsaw looked like. I also remember what he looked like in the comics. That was not Jigsaw in season two of The Punisher. Um, so seeing that already made me hate this. Already hate the season before we even watched it. And me and you got screeners uh, be- before it came out, um, so we kind of had like a little advantage. But as soon as I saw that trailer, I'm like, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like and this. We no. both and we both wrote our own separate reviews. That's the hilarious yes. thing. Juwan yes. literally has a, a review for season two slamming it. And then I was like, oh, no, that's not going to be the only review on Geek Vibes Nation. I got to put one out. <laughs> that is how strongly we felt on, on both ends. But, 
I respect it. And I, I don't even remember my review at this point because I, I know the only thing I hated was was Jigsaw, but it wasn't a bad season. It was just something like them not like them choosing to not do Jigsaw correctly um, is what bothered me so much that it blinded me from that show, uh, from that season, sorry. Um, so I'm like, you know, if things aren't for you, just say that and pass the baton. Like, like I should have said to you, I can't write a review for this. Like, I, I can't. Like, this, this, I don't like it. Um, you know, instead of me writing something so negative that I probably would look back on and go, it, it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near that bad. Like, I still think they hate Jigsaw, but it wasn't that bad. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it, it's just one of those things where it's like some of these, these critics need to, to understand, like, if it's not your cup of tea, don't go into it, you know, like, it, 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 it's not for you. Um, but pal, I'll pass it to you. Do you think critics are, are, are starting to become um, kind of a negative impact? on reviewing uh movies because you got people that can't really take feelings out of it um you could also have people that maybe don't fully respect the art and i'm not saying just because a a critic dislikes something that i like that they're wrong um but it comes with the level of like it depends on how bad that review is like if they walk into bad boys three and they come out and they go this was the worst story I've ever seen in my life. It's bad boys. Why are you looking for it to have <laughs> an Oscar worthy story? Like that's your fault. Why, why were you looking for that? Um, so, you know, it, it's just all about how they structure it. But I mean, you're one of, one of our critics. Um, you know, how do you view it? So short answer to your question. Yes. <laughs> I do think that sometimes we can have a negative impact. And just thinking thinking of it from a personal perspective, I know that I have friends that really do um, take my word seriously and are gen- they're genuinely um, taking what I say about a movie into consideration into how they're going to move forward with the movie, whether or not they're going to pay for a movie ticket, whether or not they're going to wait until it gets to a streaming site or to Redbox, or even if they're just not going to watch it at all. Um, so, you know, I, on my side, I try to, um, say, uh, what I want to say about a movie very, I I try to take it very seriously. And at the same time, like, I also don't want to sugarcoat it because if I don't think it's a good movie, I, I wouldn't want you to pay money to watch a bad movie. You know what I mean? But on the other side, if I believe that I come across something that I do think will, um, will either give you a good time, will challenge you as uh, a movie viewer, will um, probably make you think that, you know what, this is like my new favorite movie of the year, whatever. Like, I will make sure that I can do my power as, you know, a quote-unquote critic to make you consider that as your next viewing. Um, that's how I approach it. But, yes, there are a lot of bigger critics, well-known critics, well established critics that um, take their powers a little too seriously and I feel like sometimes they can abuse it because yeah they come across these movies that you know maybe they aren't good movies but man like if you ever come across one of their articles and you just read uh, like I remember um, 
one of the first movies that I watched last year, I, I, I knew I just was not kindly to, was Men in Black International. I, I did not like that movie, could care less about it. And I, I think my review kind of kind of tells you that. But it, it gives off that vibe. But, man, you should see other critics that have way better vocabulary than me when it comes to uh, describing how bad a movie is. And it's just like, you know, that I guess it's kind of deserved because that wasn't a good movie. But then you come across critics that are really, really harsh against movies that have actually gotten really good reception. Like, for example, you guys bring up Bad Boys. Um, that movie is a success. I, I think it's been really successful for a January release. And it has maintained a pretty high Rotten Tomatoes score for, you know, not only blockbuster, or not blockbuster, excuse me, um, not, not just a box office uh, kind of movie, but also a sequel. Um, one that, like, I really was not expecting anything good to come out of it. But I was surprised. Like, a lot of people end up liking it. And yet, I'm sure that there are critics out there that really wanted to just paint this picture that, no, you should not pay to watch this movie. Don't don't, don't waste your time, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? That's just going to be them. There's just some petty people out there that are going to say what they want to say because they know they're going to get the views. They know they're going to get all the clicks. They know that they're going to get paid for it. And that's all that matters. And some of them, like, I'm pretty sure they just make a career out of it. Like, they just want to... Um, they they just want to sound like that because they know people are going to end up clicking it. Rather, if it's just a boring boring title and a boring um, a boring stance that everyone is going with, right? So um, that's how like I think people that when I when I approach criticizing movies and especially when people are at, like they really want my recommendation on a movie, um, you know, it's really hard for me because I I tend to be really negative more often than not. But then I end up going around saying, but, you know, I watch a lot of movies. You don't. And you might end up loving this movie. So take what I say with a grain of salt. I think almost everyone else is probably going to enjoy this movie way more than me. Don't let me stop you. You know, you're a free person. You can do whatever you want. I'm not forcing you to make um, any kind of decision. And if you end up liking this movie that maybe I don't like, then that's totally fine. Like, you know, that's, that's, the part, that's a great part of life that we can disagree agree to disagree, and still move on with our lives. So um, people that are criticizing movies, I hope that they all take that into consideration that people actually do read what we say, and they take it very seriously. And, you know, if it turns out that we end up bashing um, more movies than actually saying good things about it, then it may have a negative impact on the way that people uh, go to the movies or whether or not they – uh, like I said earlier, whether they make the decision to go pay a movie ticket or wait to, until it gets into their streaming sites like Netflix or uh, Hulu, Amazon, whatever, um, you know, that, it has a major, major impact. And so I don't think – I'm pretty sure everyone already um, has that in the back of our minds, but sometimes we tend to forget that, you know, maybe we need to be um, – we don't have to be so mean. You know, we, we can say things without being so – uh, just plain rude about a certain movie because you gotta understand there's so people that work their butts off to make this movie happen and we need to respect that and you know it just turns out that the ex- execution wasn't uh, wasn't all that great and you know what that's just how how life is so that's how I feel about it yeah and how uh, like it's interesting how you um, <clears throat> ended that off by saying like some of us we can just be kind of just rude. 
right? And yeah, we need to take take into consideration that they worked on this. This is their craft, and right. I think that that um, I got a little bit of that realization last year, kind of when this um, indie filmmaker had given us the like screeners to their indie film. And Kanan had mm-hmm. given it to me. He asked, you know, can you re- watch this and can you review it? It was very low budget, um, and I ended up not liking it. And but right. you know, I definitely, looking back, wrote a way harsher review than needed. I could have been a lot nicer, but I was almost like, as I said before, feeling myself with saying how bad it was and really just like going over the top. And yeah. the filmmaker and the filmmaker reached out to Kane and saying, I put my life's work into that movie and to see you tear it down so like mercifully. She was like, it's oh my so God. upsetting. You made, like she literally said that I made her cry. And I was sitting there like, oh my God, I feel like the worst human being on the face of the planet. And I'm like, looking back, I'm like, I didn't need to be that mean. I didn't like the movie, but yeah. I definitely was over the top in it. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, I, I say everything I say, but, you know, we also need to do our jobs as critics, our jobs as, you know, we're movie lovers. You know, we want to make sure that um, we want we want to enjoy a movie, we want it to be successful and all that. But if a movie isn't great, you know, that's outside of our control. That, you know, maybe this person, uh, whoever the, the indie filmmaker was, you know, yes, she got ruthless, ruthlessly criticized by this movie but you know i also see as an opportunity for her to you know see her mistakes and improve on whatever film she takes on next like i think that's like where our justice critics come in where yeah maybe we do provide a really bad review but hopefully this could open the eyes of whoever that filmmaker is to realize you know like you know and no matter where you are in life you're going to get criticized no matter what you're going to and and you know whether or not you take it as constructive criticism or just harsh comments that's going to be up to you and your mindset and whatever but you know I, I do believe like you know you have to be honest still and maybe you thought you were honest but she thought you were rude you know there's like two different things it's it's just based on the person and um and that's kind of interesting how you actually reviewed a movie that you put a face like you had a face on about this movie and a lot of critics I, I just wonder like how many of them actually do get to meet the filmmakers behind these movies like would they actually say the things they say in those articles if they meet the people if they meet the actors and the director and all, everyone else involved in the process like I don't know if they would say the same things you know yeah I mean <clears throat> excuse me we <laughs> A lot of people hide behind their keyboards, which is all yep. – well, it, it's all good. I mean, you do ultimately get paid to give your opinion, and we can't be upset about how you gave that opinion. Well, I won't say we. Um, viewers can't really be upset. Filmmakers, the people that you know gave their blood, sweat, and tears can definitely be upset. Um, but, I mean, we live in a society to where um, – Everything is online. Bullying is online. Uh, harassing is online. Like all that is online. So someone telling uh, someone who put months to a year of hard work into something like, hey, that's garbage. Like throw that in the garbage. Like, of course, it makes that person feel horrible. Um, but I mean, I always say 
just find the positive reviews. Like, for every movie that someone hates, there's a lot of people that like it. Um, like, I found that out about The Last Jedi. Like, I left that movie going, all right, it was bold. And then, like, I went on Twitter, and I'm like, whoa, people really hate this movie. Like, really, really, really hate this movie. Um, and, like, I just kept saying to myself, if you're Ryan Johnson, like, look for people like myself that are like, wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. You took liberties that I wasn't expecting, but well, it wasn't bad. Um, because for every negative, I'm 100% sure there's like a thousand positives. Um, <laughs> Kanan always gets mad when I mention him on the show. But for example, I, you guys know how many people despise BVS, but for every person that despises it, there's a lot of people that love that movie. Um, so, I mean, you know, there's just so many examples of where you just should pay attention to the positive, just ignore the negative. Um, cause it's when you respond to the negative that it then gains legs and then you can't stop it. Um, but all right, AJ, um, your kind of thoughts on how critics could affect, not again, I don't want to say box office, but could affect the minds of, of, of moviegoers. Uh, first, I just want to say what my rule is of what, what's the difference between a critic and a, just a person that's um, a fan of movies. Uh, I just feel like a critic should both do both, um, put in negatives and positives within the review. Um, if you can't find any positives, then you, I guess you weren't, looking hard enough because it's always a positive in the movie. I do this all the time. Um, uh, with, uh, what was it? Last Airbender. I hate the hell out of the movie and I can't find any positive till, even to this day for that movie. But I still try to find positives when I'm not thinking about anything else. Don't know why. I just do. Um, I just feel like if you can't figure out a way to execute what your thoughts are on the movie. Um, Paul, I think you do this perfectly. I always read your reviews. Dom, he does it perfectly. Uh, Tia, you do it perfectly as well. I feel like you guys are some of the best critics out there. Um, <laughs> Juwan, you're going to hate me for this because of re- recent things. Um, I actually do like John Campion's um, reviews as well because he does do he does talk about both negatives and positives of a movie. Um, same with Christian Harlock. Um, but um, critics, I wouldn't even call them critics at this point. I would just call them people just talk about movies. Um, I just feel like they don't like their jobs. Um, <laughs> if you don't like their jobs, just quit. Or find, hurry up and find another job and quit um, quit being a movie critic or a TV show critic or whatever. Um, I, I'm the, I don't know his name, but the Enter- um, Entertainment Weekly critic that didn't watch all of the what you see um, season episodes and was able to do a review on it. I thought was disgusting. Um, he's obviously I obviously won't read any of his reviews if he does anymore. Um, I just think that the worst thing you can possibly do is just give bad informed um, 
give people bad informed decisions and stuff like that to either see the um, show or not to see the show. And I just feel like that was wrong for him to do. Um, there was actually, I think it was in Little Women, where, ah, oh, crap, what's the, um, Cersei Ronan's character, um, was talking to a critic, one of her friends from a, um, from the school, and she got mad at, mad at him because she thought that he didn't really know anything, and he finally gave her good criticisms on why he didn't like it because she wasn't being honest with herself and all that. And I feel like that's what a real critic should do is just be honest as possible. Um, you can always find positives and negatives um, with a movie show. Just like Paul said, you will always have criticism no matter where you go. Um, it's just life. Um, I want to talk a little bit on Paul and Sugarcoat. I, w- I hope and I guess I'm going to put this. For me personally, I don't really sugarcoat anything. I just tell them what I feel. <laughs> um, I think it through, obviously. Um, I just tell my whole honest opinions, what I like, what I don't like, all that. Um, people usually don't like what I say. <laughs> me and Juwan always arguing about something. Uh, me and Ryan always arguing about something because we never agree on anything. But I just feel like that's the point of being – uh, film lover or just anything subjective. I just feel like that's the best interactions with um, where we can have with. Have. Um, I just feel like you should be firm and still kind at the same time when you're talking to filmmakers or new new filmmakers if you're if you know them, just giving their honest opinions and all of that. Um I think that's all I have to say on that part. Yeah, I mean, it, we, we also have to remember this because, uh, you know, it is well known that we shouldn't give critics all this power. Like, you know, go see it, form your own opinion. But where theaters don't make it easy is you heightening ticket prices and concession prices. A lot of people aren't willing to take a risk on a movie that a lot of people are saying are bad. For me to go spend what seemingly uh, is almost the amount someone would pay for gas to go see a movie, um, like I, some people don't want to make that risk. Like if, if a bunch of people are telling them, "Hey, this movie's really bad," I'm not dropping twenty something dollars to go see this movie just to form my own opinion. Like no, like people said it's bad, so I'm not gonna go see it. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, because I've had too many times where people said this movie was horrible and I went to see it and I'm like, it was not that bad. Um, but I could understand someone who's like, I don't want to waste my money. Like, you know, and to those people, I would say the world thought that about live, die and repeat. And when that movie, because I didn't see it in theaters, mainly because it's marketing was the worst I've ever seen. Um, (laughs) I saw when I saw it on DVD, I'm like, God, I wish I saw this movie in theaters. Like, this is so good. Um, so, you know, it just, it, it all depends. But at the end of the day, it's your money. You do what you want to do. Um, but, yeah, we've gotten into a, a, a time in our lives where critics just have so much power. Um, 
like if, if, if when Birds of Prey gets its first reviews, if like they're overwhelmingly bad, you're gonna have people like, oh, I knew it, it's horrible. Like you didn't even see it yourself. Like what do you mean? Um, so I'm just saying. Oh, I want to touch on that real quick. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, with me, like people like me, you, um, Joel and Kanan, we all love comic books. We we grew up with comic books and all of that, and having something different can, um, what Tia says, you already have preconceived notions. Um, we already know what we want in, like, a Birds of Prey or a Batman or a Suicide Squad movie. And when, uh, when we don't get it, we all get upset, or most most of us get upset because um, we don't want that. Um, for me, uh, I want to put myself out in the, for an example. Um, Birds of Prey, Cassandra Kane. Um, I'm re- I still really don't like how they're doing the char- character, but I still have to get used to the fact that this is just another iteration of the character. Um, comic books have been doing this for centuries on end, um, changing a little bit within the character and that character and all that. And I just feel like we all have our one character in a comic book movie that we just want to be played and and um the big on the big screen and sometimes we won't get it sometimes we will Logan um Logan was probably one of the ones actually no I'm gonna put Batman um the actors for Batman everybody hated from Christian Bale to oh, goodness now I'm just losing my chance thought um uh, Ben Affleck people just automatically say no I don't want him for Batman because they already have their preconceived notions of what their Batman wants to be. But once the movie comes out, they're all like, oh my God, this is an incredible Batman and we like this Batman, like that Batman and all that. I'm just, for me, I just feel like we should just give it a chance before we already have an opinion on the movie, whether you wait for a trailer to come out or the whole movie to come out. I, I just say, at least Think about what you're about to type or say on YouTube before you talk because one day you're going to say, oh, that was stupid of me for doing that or writing that or saying that. So just make sure you think about what you want to say. Yeah, no, fair enough. All right, uh, we got like 20 minutes left. Let's get into why numbers lie when it comes to streaming services. I want to I want to kind of open this up a little bit more. Why numbers lie in general? Um, you, for example, you go how they how they track um, number one albums today is different than how they did it 20 years ago. So 20 years ago, people had to go physically buy copies um, for them to to generate revenue and for someone to go. You have the number one album in the world, right now. You could just literally, uh, these musicians are telling you how to cheat the system to where they're telling you to add their songs to your playlist and then put it on repeat. Uh, so their songs are getting numerous hits. Um, so I'm like, that is a lie. So when people go, Netflix just released that Stranger Things had the greatest opening ever in streaming service history. Like, they could say that. But my question to you as a, as a consumer is, how do you know that? Like, how do you know that? What can you see that shows you that they're not just telling you what you need to hear for you to 
for your interest to be peaked to watch that show. You know what I'm saying? So, like, when you go box office, right, you can't really inflate that, you know, because you can kind of – there's a physical way of someone seeing that. The algorithm for these streaming services, anyone can come out and go, yo, it's a hit. Like, no, 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 like, show me how was, how was it a hit. Like, how many times did someone go back and watch it more than just that one weekend when it came out? Uh, you know, like, there's so many different ways. So, Tia, I want to go to you first. Do you feel as though that these streaming services um, kind of inflate their numbers a lot, or, or do you feel as though they're, they're genuine? No, I would say that they probably inflate their numbers to push an agenda, because if you are a streaming service that has put a lot of money and time into a show, you're going to want to make sure that it's something that is perceived to be successful so that others will then want to watch it even more. Honestly, I can't think of anything right now, but um, I talk about this a lot, and I was talking about it on the top ten today. To me, there are so many things on Netflix that so many shows and movies that to me seem like a constant waste of time and money on Netflix's part, but they continue to like to keep up with their formula. And I think that in order to continue making these, they want to inflate their numbers to perceive that they're better, uh, that they're doing better than they actually are. So that's just my opinion with it. Um, And we don't know because there really isn't a way for us to see. Netflix doesn't release the numbers. They just say, oh, it's the best. It had the best opening. It has the best consistent, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we just have to take their word for it, but we honestly don't know. And they're a big company. They want to stay in the game. They want to make sure that they're relevant considering all the other millions of freaking streaming services, not just Disney Plus, that have come out, especially with Apple and HBO Max coming out. They want to make sure that they stay relevant. So they're going to make it seem like, hey, like our numbers are so huge on Netflix, you know, come watch pretty much. Um, And that's just how I think it is. They definitely have to be, um, you know, twisting it just a little. Because some of it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, to me, I'm not Mm -hmm. a fan of what I can't see. Um, And we live in a time to where, if something isn't doing well, like, for example, Selena Gomez going on Instagram and telling fans how to cheat the system so her album can become number one is, oh, that's, that's, a so cool. that's a really, really, really bad look. But it tells you not a lot of these stars are are, are selling as well as you would think that, that they are. Um, so, I mean, I look at Netflix and I go, Netflix at some point, has to have money issues because it's like, all right, they, this, the whole idea of Netflix taking off came from me being able to watch all the seasons of Friends, all the seasons of, you know, all these shows that went off air years ago that I'd rather watch without commercials. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that's where it made its name. And then it started giving you great original content. But I'm like, I'm not about to sit here and ignore the fact that 
your good con- content is few, far in between. It's not like everything you're doing is hot. Um, so I'm like, I'm wondering where you could afford Martin Scorsese and a $146 million budgeted film. Like, where does that make up at? And how is it that The Irishman wasn't one of the most streamed movies in Netflix? You know, like certain things where it's like, well, where are the numbers for that? But pal, I'll pass it to you so you have time. Um, do you feel as though these streaming services are, are, are kind of maybe lying about some of their numbers, or do you think that they're that they're genuine? That's that's their their actual numbers. So I have never been much of a numbers person, and um, how the streaming sites like Netflix measure that is something I don't know much about. But I believe what I do know is that. Last year, Netflix said that their most live stream or not live stream, excuse me, their most streamed movie was, um, oh gosh, Murder Mystery, and that was the one with Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston, if I if I remember correctly. And I I saw that I saw that on the news, and I thought to myself, no way, there's no way that was the most live stream or the most streamed movie on their site. I believe that kind of just because, like, everyone will, everyone seems to enjoy, like, a good Sandler movie just to watch and have a good laugh. Um, but considering that they had other movies, like you said, you want, like The Irishman, that supposedly, at, you know, this time last year, everyone thought it was going to be such a big Oscar contender. Everyone was waiting for it. I mean, the fact that Scorsese picked to uh, have this movie – streamed online and not in a movie theater like the traditional way was like you know unheard of and so I thought it was going to get a lot of buzz and I thought it did when it released originally um at the end of last year but I guess because people thought it wasn't a good movie or the reviews um weren't as positive as people thought it was going to be maybe that I guess that turned the numbers down a bit and even Mare's Story like I thought Mare's Story could have had had a big audience just because, you know, a lot of people have heard about it. Adam Driver, uh, Scarlett Johansson, Laura Dern, like with these big names, like people, people would have been interested in it, but I guess not. Um, and I, even I'm thinking, you know, at the beginning of 2019, you know, when Netflix released their do- documentary of the Fire Festival and Hulu released their version of the Fire Festival uh, documentary, I thought that, you know, the way that, that was such a trend online that people were just comparing the two. And, you know, since it's, it's the fire festival, like everyone just has fun talking about it. I thought that maybe that would have uh, present, presented big numbers um, for, for Netflix and Hulu, but no one has talked about it since it was released. So maybe not. I don't know how they do it, to be honest, because I'm thinking of the fact that, you know, people share their passwords. Like, so maybe if, if a movie is viewed more than once, is that actually the same person? Or are they viewing it all the way through? Like, how, how do they measure watch time? Like, do they do it the same way that YouTube does it? Or is it, or, or is it different? Um, I really, really don't know how they measure the, the um, amount of times people watch a movie and how they dictate what movie was quote-unquote the most streamed movie. Um because when I when I saw that news last year about murder mystery being the most live stream, I was kind of shocked because going through going with what Tia was saying, I didn't think it was a great movie. 
And, yes, it had Jennifer Aniston and Adam Sandler and a couple of other big names attached to it. That doesn't make it a good movie. And there are other garbage on Netflix that, that, that they spend money on. It has their name on it that I'm thinking to myself, why did they do that? Um, and so I don't really know how it works, and I don't know if they are making the right decisions at Netflix. Um, there certainly are if they're supporting movies like Roma, like the Mar- uh, like Marriage Story, like The Irishman. But then you got all those other kind of crappier movies, and I'm like, uh, I don't know if you're going about it the right way. And um, I want to say maybe they're over-exaggerating those numbers just so that people can start talking about their movies again and rewatch it. Uh, but the thing is, I wish they can be a little bit, a little bit more honest with that model, with that system, how the process of however they come up with those numbers, because it is such a mystery to everybody. No one else, and Netflix is the only one that seems to be open about it um, in the first place, I guess, just because they are the biggest streaming site online. They're bigger than Amazon Prime. They're bigger than Hulu, bigger than HBO and all that. Like, and I don't think anyone else really talks about those numbers remotely like the way Netflix does. But even then, Netflix is still so private about it. Um, they won't even share, like, you know, how much they spend on marketing for these movies that seem to have a lot of Oscar attention. Like, Roma, with Roma last year, I heard that they spent a butt ton of money just for the marketing, just to make sure that it gets the Oscar attention it needed, and yet it still didn't win. And, it didn't, and when it didn't win, they still would not say – they wouldn't say a peep about how much money they spent on it. So, you know, it, they, they can be really sketchy on that side of things. So – I, I hope that they're being honest because, obviously, like you said, Juan, there's other areas of, of um, creativity, like um, musicians and their albums and the work and all that. Like they, and, they, and they seem to not be honest about it. And uh, if that's what the trend is going to keep, keep being like when it comes to streaming sites and how you measure success, I, I don't know if I'm going to be okay with that. At least we have something like the box office that can give us real hard numbers to look at for movies that aren't uh, released on stream sites. But, yeah, I, I really don't have an answer to your question. I'm just hoping it is honesty. Yeah, no, I mean, and I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying I don't put stock in something that that isn't tangible. Um, like, if, like, could you picture if like, Tia, I'll say this more specifically to you. Could you picture if someone just said, hey, Tia, your show is garnishing over 10,000 views, right? And then you go, wait, it's really weird when I post it to promote it. I only get, like, 20 likes. So if you're telling me I'm, I'm garnishing all these views, where is this fandom? Like, why doesn't it travel? Why is it only for my podcast? You know, it just it wouldn't really add up. So if you're telling me a series is one of the hugest it's ever been for you, my question would be, where are like, how are you gauging it? Is it over the course of the first week? Is it over the course of the first month? Because I'd like to say that if Netflix puts out eight episodes, most people are watching it in the course of a weekend, if not one night. Um, so you're not telling me that the person watched it and then say, you know what I want to do on this Saturday after binging it on Friday? Binge it again. Sunday? Binge it again. Monday? Binge it again. Like, no, no one's doing that. So how are your numbers formulating would be my question. And again, 
This is not me saying that they're liars. I'm just saying it'd be very easy to lie because we have no way of proving it. Um, but yeah. all right, let's get to our last topic. I want to make sure we had time for this. I want to just focus on you guys' answer for this question. Um, the growth of female directors, do you feel as, as if times are changing and that it's becoming more of a consistent and normal thing? I'll start with you, Tia. I mean, I wouldn't say that necessarily it's becoming more of a consistent thing. I think that the conversation is happening for people to want to start to do it is what I think is happening. Because we can't, you can't have where out of all of the movies, you know, we have the Black Widow movie coming up and the Birds of of Prey. But you can't look at two movies that have just, these two movies have female directors, right, and Wonder Woman, and then say it's, this is happening, it's the norm now. It's no, but we still have all these millions of other ones that are directed by men. Um, but it is certainly opening up, I think, a conversation that we're seeing that the female voice is valuable when it comes to creating stories that center around women. There was recently... Um, really quick, the uh, Harleywood um, exhibit in Hollywood uh, for Birds of Prey. There's an interview with Margot Robbie and um, uh, the girl who plays uh, Black Canary, right? Where they were saying how years ago when they were walking into a set, they were the only women on set. And now you see a female director, you see females in the crew, the uh, script is being written by a woman, and that matters. Like, we've seen uh, two, some of the best episodes in The Mandalorian were directed either by Deborah Cho or Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, you know, and those are just great. And it's like, I don't think people, when people hear a woman directing something, they automatically have this uh, thing in their mind as to what it's going to be. And I'm going to say something really quick. That um, type of thinking is just ignorant because I took a film, I took several film classes in uh, college, and one of them, my teacher put up five different freaking movies, and he said, pick the movie out of here that you think was directed by a woman. And of course, everyone picked the, like, you know, the girl movies, you know, the comedies and everything. Oh, you know, these must be the ones. No, the only one on that list was The Hurt Locker. You know, so to that type of mentality of thinking that a movie is going to be a certain way just because a woman directs it needs to stop. Because now, um, as we were talking about it, maybe yesterday or something, Juwan, I'm seeing that Marvel wants a female director for Captain Marvel 2, which is great because we didn't have that in the first one. We had a man and a woman. Now we're going to finally get just the woman's voice. And I'm already seeing all of these comments on Twitter going, I don't care who it is, as long as it's a good movie. And you even said yourself, that is toxic and problematic to have that type of mentality because you're trying to essentially erase the female voice. Yeah, it's not forward pushing. I mean, it's like saying, well, I mean, here's here's the best example. It's like people that think Caleb McLaughlin would be a great Miles Morales, right? What people don't realize is that Miles Morales is half Hispanic and half black. 
So if you make them all black, you're completely shutting out a demographic that's really excited and claims that character as their own. So I'm like, you saying like, well, Caleb's a good actor, so as long as you have a good actor, why does it matter? Well, you're shunning a demographic. That's why it matters. Like, people... This is what I take from people that say that. And I'm not saying that this is how they feel. This is just how I perceive it. When you say, well, as long as it's a good movie, it doesn't matter who directs it, right? I then take that as we are, we are 100% okay with Hollywood remaining white forever. <laughs> as long as James Bond's a good movie, I don't care that he's never black. As long as, you know, um, directors are all male, you know, as long as they're good movies, I don't care. It's not progressive. You have to want it to be different for it to be different. So start wanting these movies to have different faces behind it uh, because that then in itself could make it a good movie. But when you go, when you're blinded and say, as long as it's good, you're then like giving the okay for a woman to never you know what I'm saying? Like, for that never to be the normal. Like, I, I want it to be to where when we see, um, like, if there's a Grammy nom- nomination that's all female directors, I don't want us to highlight that like it's some huge thing when we wouldn't if they were all male. So that's my biggest issue. I'm like, no, we want it to be normal to where it's just like, oh, all right, great movies great directors nominated like all right let's see who wins rather than we have to spotlight this because this has never happened before. like no it shouldn't be like that it should just be like all right the same as if all men were at that table you know um putting respect on their artistry as that i'm sorry pal i only left you like two minutes but your thoughts on the growth of female directors and times hopefully changing so it becomes more of a consistent normal thing I will say that 2019 was arguably the best year for female directors, female filmmakers, period, but especially for female directors. And it really made me upset when the Academy just did not seem to even acknowledge at least one female director for their best director category, like at least Greta Gerwig, but not even that much for her um, direction of Little Woman. So I'm just hoping that, this trend will keep going where we will continuously get great movies coming from female directors. People take the time to watch it and talk about it and share with their friends. So that way they can get the support that they need. I think that if, if a movie's good, people are going to watch it. And then when they find out that it comes from a female director, I bet most of them are going to be like, okay, well, that's cool. Good, good to know. Cause they're going to realize that it doesn't matter who makes the movie as long as it's good, that's all that matters. But I mean, we need the representation, and I'm, I know I'm going to do my part to support female filmmakers whenever I, I get the chance to. I thought I did a pretty, um, a pretty good job of like watching a lot of films last year that were directed by female directors, and so I'm going to keep doing that this year and keep spreading the word on social media so that way they can get the attention that they, they really do need out there. It's crazy, um, the stigma really quick that is behind females in the movie industry behind the scenes because when they brought in Stevie Waller-Bridge to write for the next Bond movie, people were up in arms over it. And it's like, for what? What is she going to write that's going to destroy your James Bond? She's won every award for Fleabag. She's amazingly talented. 
Yeah, no, I'm completely with you, but that's why I said it has to become a norm. Um, I'm hoping this Black Widow movie is revered the same way that Winter Soldier is. Um, so we can take stigmas out of, um, you know, people that only wrote comedies or female directors, just a lot of things that are just toxic for, you know, our art, you know, our artistry. So just look at them for great movies that are being helmed by females rather than, wait, a female did that? Like, if you have to ask it like that, just know you're part of the problem. Like, it shouldn't shock you that females <laughs> have the ability to make great movies. But anyway, pal, welcome back. Tia, thank you for, for um, powering. Shouts out to AJ, who had to leave early. Thank you guys so much for joining me for an awesome episode, and we will see you same time, same place next week. Peace. See ya.